invitation to come and to help me and to help you and to help all of our imaginations um, hear this scripture again as if for the first time, as if for the first time. So with that in mind, would you listen now for God's word? Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey every commandment that I've given you. And remember, remember, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. That was great. Thanks, Jubilation. So good. My imagination is sparked. This is a pretty interesting passage to me. I mean, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that are really confusing and that take some serious mental gymnastics to try to figure out what's going on. I'm sure you could think of a couple of these places in Scripture. But this passage, it's fairly straightforward, don't you think? It's fairly straightforward. It's important, foundational even, and there's not a whole lot of fancy footwork required to wrap our head around it. There are a few things, though, that I think are worth pointing out. You've got the 11 disciples meeting Jesus in Galilee, right? And they're meeting Jesus in Galilee because the women had actually met Jesus first, what Forrest talked about last week, uh, and, and they had gone to the tomb. The women had gone to the tomb where Jesus' dead body had been laying. They'd gone to the tomb to see the body to bring some spices, and when they got there, they encountered the risen Christ. They encountered the risen Christ, and their first instinct is to fall before him in worship. And so as they're worshiping, Jesus tells them, go, go share this good news with my brothers, which is one of my favorite images in all of scripture. Jesus tells these women, go tell my brothers this good news, and tell them then to meet me in Galilee. So they do this, the women run off and they tell uh, their brothers in Christ this good news that Jesus is alive and that Jesus wants to meet them in Galilee. And uh, so the disciples who were in or near Jerusalem, sort of sulking and hiding out after Jesus' death, the disciples are in Jerusalem and they start to make this trek up to Galilee, which is a good trek. 
It's about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And they head out. They hit the road, the 11 of them. Now, 11, it sounds a little bit strange, doesn't it? If we know our Bible, it should, because it's really always been the 12, right? Even actually since way back in the Old Testament, you've got Jacob and he's got 12 sons, and then you've got the 12 tribes of Israel all throughout the Old Testament, and then all throughout Matthew's story so far, we have the 12 disciples. But now, here, at the very end, we have 11 that Matthew names. Because Judas, who was one of the disciples, is no longer with the crew. And Judas's life and his betrayal of Christ, his death even, it's a really kind of a painful part of the story for the disciples. It's confusing, it's complicated, and it's something that we might be tempted to just kind of brush under the rug and just not talk about it. But Matthew doesn't do that. He sort of names it straight away, right? The 11 disciples, this incomplete group, a group that's been wounded and that kind of limps along, as the number 11 reminds us. And so you have the 11 disciples, and they meet Jesus in Galilee. And when they see the risen Christ for the first time, they immediately worship him. They worship him immediately, but, Matthew says, some doubt. Did you catch that part? Matthew says they worship him, but some doubt. Now, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, what Matthew was thinking here with this whole doubt part of it. And I think even if we were to uh, ask Haley or Jonathan or Josh and say, hey, what's going on with the Greek here? Tell me, explain this to me. I think even then it would still be a little bit confusing. And so I don't want to read too much into this, but this is what I do know. This is what I can figure out. Matthew uses worship and doubt together in the same sentence. Matthew uses worship and doubt together in the same sentence. And when I think back through Matthew, through some of these other religious leaders with their staunch certainty, I think about my own spiritual life. Gosh, this sort of honest take on the disciples is really reassuring and really refreshing. So you have this group of disciples And then the resurrected Christ, who, after having just cosmically swung wide open the doors of the kingdom of heaven, when his lungs filled with breath again for the first time after his death, you have this resurrected Christ who's wanting to start the church, to plant the movement somewhere. And he chooses to come to this ragtag group of people with stories of hurt and pain and who are probably dealing with some guilt and some shame and doubt 
and wonder and excitement and worship, Jesus chooses to come to this mess. Jesus chooses to come to this mess and he asks them to go and to make disciples. So I look at that and I shrug my shoulders and I think, well, gosh, maybe God really does use imperfect people and circumstances to do God's perfect work. Amen. And so this is when Jesus is looking at this crew and he says to them, all authority is mine, so go make disciples and know that I am with you always. This is called the Great Commission historically in the church because it's got this really important imperative that's kind of tucked in the middle there. This instruction to go and to make disciples everywhere. And that's really important Right? Jesus has invested in this crew for three years, teaching them about who he is, what he does, what he sees, and what he hears. He's invested in them for three years, and so now, kind of like a mama bird pushing the littles out of the nest, Jesus pushes the disciples, and he says, okay, now you need to go do something. Right? Discipleship is not static or passive. It's going to require you to actually do something not just to consume, right, but to create, to learn and to listen and to wait, and then to teach and to baptize and to make disciples, right? Discipleship is going to require you to do something. Now, the church has done this really well sometimes, and they've done this pretty terribly other times, Um, but this is another conversation for another day, You know what's been the most significant part of this passage for me? The most significant part of this passage for me? You know, I'm a campus pastor for discipleship. Like, it's my job every day to think about discipleship. So when I was reading this passage for the first time and thinking about, okay, what should I say about this? I thought, oh, great. Maybe I'll give some robust teaching on discipleship and talk about how we need to all go and make disciples, and and maybe I could even use this day to launch some program or something that would really get us all into discipleship the last few weeks of the semester, or something like that. But after a lot of wrestling with these words of Jesus, after a lot of wrestling, and sort of letting them bounce around in my prayer life, and in my daily walk, you know what I kept? coming back to over and over and over again? The fact that Jesus will be where he calls us. Jesus will be where he calls us. Like he called the 11 disciples to meet him in Galilee. Which probably felt kind of weird and risky, right? There's this guy that was dead and he's calling this misfit crew to go to this place that's kind of far away felt kind of risky to actually go but they went and you know what he was there and he calls them to make disciples which also feels maybe weird and risky but when they go he promises I will be with you always 
You know, I remember the first time that I really felt like I was very intentionally taking some kind of risk with my faith life. I was in high school, a teenager, and my high school was doing this fundraiser for a community that had a lot less money than I did. And so I committed that year to giving $125 every month, which was a lot of money for me and my babysitting in high school. And uh, I felt like it was a good cause, but even more than that maybe, I felt like Jesus was calling me and my icy suburban grip on money and material things was calling me to loosen that grip, right? And so I turned in those dollar bills every month and I had um, some older people in my life tell me maybe this is not such a wise thing. You're going to college soon and you're gonna need that money in college. And after a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment, I did it anyways. And you know what? College was expensive. You guys know that, right? College is expensive. And those years were a little bit tight for me. Maybe a little bit more tight than they would have been if I hadn't given that money away. But I made it through. And I believe that God matured my teenage faith by doing that, by following Jesus in that way. Jesus met me where he called me. That's kind of a a small example, but I could go through a litany of other ways where Jesus has called me and met me because Jesus promises to be where he calls us. There's so much change and opportunity for risk in your life at this point. Do you feel that? Maybe you felt that when you decided to come to Whitworth. Maybe you feel that now when you're trying to figure out what to study or who I should be friends with or what role I'm supposed to play on that team or what to do with my summer or my first job or this relationship. We could kind of round up the usual suspects with this kind of a list. Here's what I want you to hear from the Great Commission this morning. This discipleship thing that we do, this following Jesus It's hard and risky sometimes. But even as we look at the text this morning, even as we look at this scripture, this call to discipleship is bookended on either side by Jesus because Jesus promises to be where he calls you. Would you receive now this benediction? All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you go in peace?